Poland, uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast. Hi, this is Małgorzata Margaret Bonikowska, and you're listening to episode 93 of Polcast, recorded and produced by me in Toronto. Well, long time no here, that's true, but the break is over, and we're going to meet again more often than recently. I just want to remind you that podcast is not a news podcast. If you're interested in what's written about Poland in English, all kinds of online articles published in many countries by many media outlets, I post them daily on podcast Facebook. And those stories can be quite amazing. So visit podcast Facebook and take a read. Here is one recent example. Did you know that? The Washington Post, Daily Mail, The Guardian, even Yahoo Finance, and many other media all over the world, including our Canadian mainstream media, have covered that story asking, would you travel thousands of miles to see an obese cat? Clearly, the answer crowds of tourists gave was yes. Gacek the cat. Gacek is a word normally used to refer to a bat, not a cat. A chubby stray black and white feline has gone viral and become number one tourist attraction of the city of Szczecin, located in the top northwest corner of Poland. Gacek is listed as a historical landmark in Szczecin on Google Maps, beating out other Szczecin tourist attractions, such as the Arch Cathedral Basilica of St. James the Apostle and the Pomeranian Duke's Castle. He has accumulated over 2,500 five-star reviews. Gacek has become a tourist magnet to the great joy of the city. Too many treats from the tourists are a problem, though. To get informed about such fun stories, but also about many more serious and educational stories, please find Polcast on Facebook and become its regular reader. You will find minimum four stories a day about Poland from all over the world. For years and years, my great passion has been language. Hence, my university education and degrees in linguistics, my teaching, my book, and my interviews on podcasts relating to language issues. We live in the world enriched by diversity. Do you know how many languages are used all over the world in all the 196 countries? Well, make a guess. I'm back with the answer. According to Ethnologue, the most extensive catalogue of the languages of the world, there are currently 7,117 languages spoken around the world. There are some giant languages like English, Spanish, Chinese, or Hindi, but interestingly enough, 90% of the world's languages are spoken 
by fewer than 100,000 people. We are generally too Eurocentric, but remember that only 230 languages are spoken in Europe, while all the other thousands in other continents. In Asia alone, there are 2,294 languages. In Africa, 2,144. In the Americas, over 1,000. In the Pacific area, 1,313. One area of particularly high linguistic diversity is Papua New Guinea, where there are an estimated 832 languages spoken by a population of about 4 million. That makes the average number of speakers around 4,500, possibly. That's the lowest of any area of the world. Well, maybe even the numbers I'm giving you today are not exact because languages die every day. With every extinct language, a culture dies. But that's a separate topic which I would love to address in the future. So, recently, language as an exciting topic came back to me with an idea that I will share with you at some point when it becomes ripe. Until that happens, however, let's enjoy this episode where you will meet a young woman who is a polyglot. Marajka Słomka speaks seven languages. These are the languages that she speaks. Mam nadzieję, że wspólnymi siłami uda nam się odpowiedzieć na pytanie, dlaczego tak mało pamiętamy ze szkoły. Bo faktycznie, gdy dokonamy taki krótki rachunek... Frage ist, wie werden Gründer geboren? Aber ich möchte zuerst mit einer anderen Frage anfangen. Und zwar mit der Frage generell, werden Gründer... There is some medical news that nobody, absolutely nobody, is prepared to hear. I certainly wasn't. J'ai appris une nouvelle incroyable il y a peu de temps. Une étude très sérieuse a démontré qu'on est champion du monde. Non, mais vous vous Om naar mij te luisteren en jij begint mij adviezen te geven, dan doe je niet wat ik vraag. Als ik je vraag. Konnichiwa, Kabi Watashi wa idoshiki asobiba toyu katsudo wo 15 denkan. I reached Marajka Slomka in Brussels. You live in Brussels now, right? Yes, I do. I moved uh, almost two years ago now to Brussels. But I've been in Belgium before on an exchange. So you were born in Germany. And I was born in Poland. Oh, you were? I, okay. Yes, I actually was, but I did move to Germany uh, when I was two and a half years old. Then what made you move to Brussels? I moved to Brussels uh, for a traineeship at the European Commission, um, which I decided to do a little bit out of spite because I was told that I would not be able to do it. Um, <laughs> I don't really have a background in uh, politics or anything like that. I studied psychology. Um, but uh, one person told me that I could do it, and a lot of other people said I couldn't, and out of spite, I did it on my second attempt, and I'm more than happy to have done it and stayed, and yeah, just okay, so, really international environment. So that's where you are now, and no plans of moving anywhere? You're happy where you are, or who knows? Um, who knows? I mean, <laughs> my options are very open. 
Uh, I'm very open to any kinds of opportunities that will come my way. Um, I am hoping to maybe move to Japan within the next few years for a year, maybe longer. Let's see. But that's still out in the open. Life is so wonderful for people nowadays. You can do whatever you want. The sky is the limit, right? Exactly. I mean, I think it's just a matter of like preparation. And since I, I lived in Japan before and I would love to go mm. back. You are an amazing person in that you speak a whole bunch of languages. Let's try to figure out how many. Um, how many? Well, as you know, I do speak Polish, which is my mother tongue. I was raised bilingually, so I um, also speak German fluently. Um, I started uh, learning English at the age of three. Um, so that's my third language. Uh, in high school, I then started learning French, Spanish. And um, by myself, uh, afterwards, when I moved to Japan, I learned uh, Japanese. And then when I moved to Belgium for the first time, I learned Dutch. I'm not fluent, though, but I can travel with no problems. And then I, two or three years ago, um, decided to support my friend who opened the Korean language school because she's Korean. And I've been learning Korean ever since. Unfortunately, I haven't been counting, but that's a lot. Like what I is think it? that's eight. Eight, yes. You were saying that some of them you speak absolutely fluently, like a native speaker. And some of them are fine for communication purposes, but they're not fantastic, right? So which ones are which? I mean, I would consider myself fluent, obviously, in Polish, German, and English. Um, I can, I, I have work capacity in French. I would say I'm uh, solid in Japanese when it comes to like living situations and uh, everything else I can do conversational style. Wow. Now, let's go back to your upbringing. You said you were brought up bilingually, which means what in your particular family? In my particular family setting, that means that as I was growing up, my dad would only speak German to me and my mom only in Polish. So um, I grew up just with the, an automatic response of like talking German to my dad and Polish to my mom. The interesting thing is your father is Polish, right? So he yes. just made that big sacrifice. So what was the idea? How did they figure it out? I think on their side, they just wanted to make sure that I would be as fluent in both and I would benefit as much as possible from, from their own experiences. I'm really grateful for that. It was um, a, a will of the, from their side to make sure I, I, I profit as much as I can of any opportunity I am given. Since mm -hmm. I think, uh, given that they're both Polish and they did not have as many opportunities as I had growing up, they just wanted to make sure that if I have the possibility to be bilingual or whatever else, or learn more languages, I will do so as early as possible. Of course, you would have been bilingual anyway because you were living in Germany. So, you know, there would have been more German than Polish in your life anyway. Yes and no. I think, at least from my experience with a lot of friends, is that um, if their parents are immigrants in any type of country, oftentimes they still don't speak the, the language that, of the country that they live in as fluently as they could or like accent free as they could mm -hmm. just because maybe their parents are not as interested to making sure that they do um, or are sending them or giving them enough opportunities to actually learn the languages to, to full, the full capacity that they could. Um, or some people just don't really have like a, a hang for languages, which is fine as well, obviously. Okay, let's talk about a situation where a kid is brought up in a Polish-speaking family, like in your case. Both parents are Polish. Of course, the first moment you go to a kindergarten or daycare or whatever is going to be all in German. 
right? So German is an obvious language for, for you that at some point, and you know, and then you just immerse yourself, obviously, and you become a 100% speaker of German. But Polish is not. So that's a very interesting situation because normally that happens in a family where one parent is a non-Polish speaker, for example. Like, like if your mother was married to a German guy, that would be totally natural. But I'm just wondering, is it's an interesting model? I guess so. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I know a lot of people um, growing up that did have both Polish parents and they never learned to speak Polish living in Germany. Um, yeah. because their parents just didn't care enough to teach them or they thought it wouldn't be useful because, I mean, for sure, Polish is not an easy language and it, the usefulness of knowing Polish can be debated at this point in time, especially if you're living in Germany where, like, obviously having a German passport makes life much easier than having a Polish one, also mm. given the historical context at the time. So. so your mom must have spent quite a lot of time and, like, put a lot of effort into your being fully bilingual knowing polish to such an extent that you can speak you can write i guess and read as well yeah yeah no of course i mean she definitely sacrificed a good amount of time and also opportunity to learn german as fluent as she could have if not for me and speaking polish to me at home all the time um as compared to if she would have also chosen to uh, speak german to me or learn german at the same time and how did your parents communicate in front of you polish with each other they would speak polish um, but then whenever I would talk to my dad, he would just automatically respond to German. You are now bilingual. Then you get into the next language, which is English. At the age of three, what was the context of that three-year-old uh, Marajka learning English? I was put into language classes. So um, my parents found a British native speaker in a little town next to ours. And she was giving like a playful lesson. So we were play like memory and other things and just learn a lot of vocabulary and she would she, since she was a british native speaker she would like talk to us in english throughout the whole lesson and it was i don't know like maybe 30 to 40 minutes and parents would sit in the next room and i had a blast i really enjoyed it and it was like a great thing to learn new words and like i remember like a lot of words i found extremely funny or um yeah and it really came easy to me but I guess that was also just from the nature of like knowing two languages already and being bilingual. So then next next thing is French and that's already yeah. at school but what primary school or or high school? Actually my parents tried to get me into French when I was still in primary school so they would show me like French TV shows and I would have French books and I think the first little Game Boy because I'm really into gaming was actually a French one with French Pokemon games. So I was kind of forced to like read it already a little bit and understand. But then I think the first French classes I had in um, high school. So I think in fifth or sixth form. But it must have been taught pretty well, not in a boring way because you, you learned it, right? And sometimes people go, attend courses, but they don't really learn how to speak or understand. I mean, to be fair, French is a very difficult topic for me because I really don't like the language. Oh, tell me why. It's interesting. Precisely because it was being taught in a very grammatical way. I'm not a person that like does well with grammar. I, I like to naturalize myself in the language. I like to immerse myself. And that's the way that for me is the easiest way to learn a language. So by watching TV shows, by going to that country and living there and actually being forced to use it and then just developing uh, a good sense for the language. At this point, I would say that my, my English English is my, my first language because I've been living in English and being, I was immersed, uh, like speaking the English language since I was 18 when I moved out. 
and moved around a lot. And also I studied in English. My, my major was psychology, but I did everything in English. Um, and if you would ask me what kind of tenses I'm using right now, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. I just speak yeah. it. And for French, it was really difficult for me because it's a very grammar-based language and there's a lot of exceptions. And the way they taught it in school, I just didn't understand. But the way that worked for me was when I went on an exchange for a year to Canada, to Quebec, I was living in a French host family. And within months, my French just improved. I was I was just speaking it because I had to. And because and I was spoke Quebecois, which is so different from French from France, right? When I came back to high school and then I was writing my baccalauréat in French, my finals, uh, and my teacher really hated my accent because I had at that point a very Quebecois accent, which <laughs> she forced out of me. She trained it out of me. My parents would send me to France for vacations, which I'm very grateful for. At the time, I didn't appreciate it as much because I would have preferred to go somewhere with them. But they would send me to like language camps when I was 14, 15, 16 to, for two weeks to just immerse myself in, in the language. And I really didn't like it. But now in hindsight that I live in Brussels, I do really appreciate it. Yeah, and now you use it, right? Yes, I do use it on a daily basis because yeah. um, in spite of Belgium being well, technically trilingual because the official languages are French, uh, Dutch, and German. German. Um, Brussels is uh, in majority French speaking. What language did you think in? Or what language do you think in? It depends. I think most of the time I do think in English and it started really quickly for me. The moment I started uh, just living in in English or being around like a multicultural environment and everyone would speak English, um, it very quickly switched for me. Um, and now also it's much easier for me to, 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 to communicate in English, but I did notice, and I actually wrote my bachelor thesis on, on, on swearing habits and people that know multiple languages. Uh, I do swear a lot more, especially when it's like, I have an emotional connection to that in Polish because it feels way more satisfying to be swearing in Polish, but I do it less often. And in English, I don't have any kind of emotional connection to like swearing as much. So it just comes naturally to me. And I will like in certain situations, like with friends or when I'm like gaming and, and I get angry, just like, it just comes out, but I don't feel any particular way about it because it's just, I don't have as much of an emotional connection to it. Um, but what, what an interesting topic though, because we I spoke to my students a lot. We talked about the feeling and the meaning of swear words, right? That if if you even know the language very well, another language or a second language, very often people don't don't quite feel how strong it is or how not strong it is to use a swear word in another language. Amazing. So you swear in Polish, you think in English. So English is like really number one. And German, although you lived so many years in Germany, German did not become your really favorite language. That's interesting. No, I, I think it's just, maybe it's also just because it became a habit to be and function in English as much as I do right now. I guess when I was like 17, 18, for sure, like as a teen uh, or a tween, it was more likely for me to, to function in German. And then I would have like hit my toe and then said something in German. But I really quickly transitioned into English and it just came really naturally to me as well. Um, I don't know, maybe because English is just so much easier to express myself in at this point or maybe because after having studied psychology I also just learned or acquired a much larger vocabulary to describe how I'm feeling and how how to think in certain ways I think with with having learned much more vocabulary and just like 
um, expanded my horizons on language in general and uh, on emotions, etc. I feel, yeah, like English definitely took first place. Now, let me ask you this. And this is before we start talking about your Japanese and Korean, because this is a totally different ballgame. Let's just try these four languages. I know you don't know much about grammar. You don't know much about the theory. But do you ever think about how you think about these languages, how hard they are? It's okay. We know Polish is very difficult. But which of them is more emotional? Which of them is more complex? Do you have any thoughts or comparisons knowing four languages so well? I think, but I think it's just because of my experience of having studied in English and studied about emotion so much. I find it much easier to express any feelings or emotions that I'm I'm in in English just because I have a much broader vocabulary on these topics versus if I would be speaking on certain types of literature or mathematics it's much easier for me in German but again it's I think mainly just because that's the vocabulary that I have and my brain automatically associates with certain types of fields and the same way when I talk about I guess movie knowledge because my mom works in movies so much and I uh, grew up around a lot of artists I find it much easier to talk about these types of topics in Polish for instance but let's do something else German as a language is hmm. English as a language is something. I don't even know if it's possible. I'm just experimenting and asking you these questions. But I do have my thoughts about how English is as a language, how Polish is as a language. So I wonder if you have these kinds of observations. Yes. I mean, I would then say like English, English uh, as a language is very simple. Polish as a language is extremely complex and infuriating at times. German as a language is very dry. and French as a language is just really annoying. Why is it annoying? For me, it's just like French, although I have developed a feeling for it now, it still requires me to actually think about what I want to say just because of the complexity of the language. And sometimes it's really difficult to, to make very fine language distinctions of like how people speak in a colloquial way or not. And of course, I learned mostly in high school. And now that I'm having a lot of sports classes in French and like interacting with people on the street or just even with friends in French, I realize that there's so many things I don't know and I misunderstand. And like when I express <laughs> things, people like are laughing because I express it in a way that's just not very common. And it's just really annoying and frustrating. Okay. And now let's add these two non-Indo-European languages that are completely out of a different world, right? Which is Japanese and, and Korean. How hard was it with Japanese? Because Korean, you're just learning. But Japanese, you have more knowledge of Japanese. Japanese was difficult, but because I had a passion for Japan and a lot of topics related um, to it, it came moderately easy to me. I think it's also because I know German and I feel like grammatically, even though like the alphabets are completely different and everything else, there are some grammatical structures that are very similar in Japanese to German, having, for instance, the verb at the end of the sentence. So my brain automatically connected to that type of thinking. Like, I know that you're going to talk for a long time and then only at the end, you know what someone's talking about. But because I was expecting that and I grew up in this in high school, etc., and with German, it wasn't as difficult for me as it was for a lot of my peers and back in language school. It's also because I really enjoy the language. I think the sound of it is very beautiful. Um, I th find it very melodic and it came really easy to me to to copy people and to um, actually like pronunciation and everything. Else. What about Korean? 
Korean is extremely difficult for me. I, I think Korean is the one language that I struggle with the most, even though I, I, I got into Korean because I really enjoy watching Korean dramas and listening to Korean music, and I got in, in it in my early 20s. So I was exposed to it in my early 20s a lot, and I was exposing myself to uh, the language. But even once I started studying it, I still find it extremely difficult after two years sometimes to read certain words, to know the pronunciation, and to actually get the pronunciation right. And even listening to it, I find it extremely hard to copy, just because my brain just doesn't compete really. Both Korean and Japanese, they have a totally different script, right? So it's like reading is probably a completely different uh, skill, right? You can speak, but it doesn't mean you're going to be able to write and read. Korean has one main alphabet these days, which is the Hangul, which is a syllable alphabet, where it is difficult to write a word, but reading it is not as difficult as long as uh, you follow the rules, and there's a lot of them. But that's A-OK. Japanese is much more difficult in the sense of that you have um, four different alphabets. You you have the, the syllable alphabets as well, but they're not as complex in the writing. And as long as you know the two basic um, syllable alphabets, and they use the syllable alphabets to describe the kanji, which are the complex signs that are taken from the Chinese alphabet, you make do. And as long as you know the vocabulary, it's fine. As long as it's written out, like how to pronounce certain things. So I find Japanese much easier in that sense than Korean. But did you find learning another language later on easier? It does make life much easier. But I think it, it's also related to like the language families. Like Dutch for me was not an issue at all. Oh, yeah, Dutch. There's Dutch, of course. I forgot about Dutch. Yes. Yes. Uh No, but Dutch is like comparatively easy for me in the sense of that uh, it's very similar to German. So I understand 90% of what people say. I may not be able to produce as much speech as I would like to just because I don't know the words and I don't interact with it as much. But uh, once I'm in any Dutch-speaking city here in Belgium for a few hours, by the end of the day, I will be able to communicate what I want to communicate, no problems, and have like a small talk. But just because a lot of things are very similar to German, and I can just like take from the knowledge that I have of German, and worst case scenario, I will speak German with a Dutch accent, and people will understand me. Versus like Korean or Japanese were much more difficult and required a lot more work to be put into actually even having the courage to speak. Any plans of learning more? I've been dabbling in some <laughs> Italian, but uh, that's... Well, yeah, Italian should like, be easy for you, right? You can speak French, and of course, there's so many similarities between English and German, like in terms of the vocabulary. So I guess it should be probably very easy. Yeah, no, I mean, I was very lucky in the past two years now that I moved to Brussels to um, make friends with a lot of people from different places. And I happen to live in a shared flat we were seven in total, seven women, and it kept changing. And at some point, six of the other girls in the flat were speaking Spanish. So Spanish came very easy. I mean, I had some Spanish in high school, but by no means would I say that I am fluent in any way. But after being forced to watch TV with them and like hearing them all the time, I will understand a lot of things. And I can, if I want to, it's very similar to French. I will be able to say something if I need to. So I'm assuming Italian is similar. Do I do find it more difficult than Spanish? What advice would you give people? Like people who know just one language or two languages, how can they best learn? 
I would say don't be afraid to speak. Um, and don't be afraid to just go into it and immerse yourself as much as you can. The thing that helped me best also with English when I had issues with grammar and it wasn't working as well in school, I started watching my favorite shows in Japanese with English subtitles, which forced me to listen, to read, to understand, and to acquire the vocabulary in a language that I don't know. But if I want to understand the thing that I'm passionate about, I have to learn. And similarly, also then speak. So if you put yourself in situations that are really uncomfortable, but you have to speak the language. And even if it's not perfect, from my experience, people are much more grateful if you're making an effort and you're even doing the bare minimum to some extent than if you wouldn't try at all. In your professional life, I guess this multilingual Maraika must be a real jewel or precious acquisition to companies, no? I mean, yes and no. Obviously, in my current um, position where I still work with the institutions, there's a lot of people that are international. So there's a lot of people that speak many languages. And I usually try not to make it too obvious that I do. Um, but yeah, it makes, it makes life easier in a sense of that if people, if they're looking for a very specific job position, I can always say I can apply to anything that works on policy with Poland or Germany, because I'm fluent in both of these and I can do it. Or I am hoping to get a job working with Japan because I can say I can communicate with these people in their language and not everyone can do that. But that's more specific to these types of like non-European languages, I would say. Have you ever learned Latin? I wanted to, but I never got the opportunity. I could have done Latin instead of French in high school, but oh. I decided against it. Uh, it would have been definitely useful in my psychology studies. And if I would have decided to go into the medical field, 100%, I would have done Latin. But I heard a lot of complaints from my fellow peers back in high school about Latin. So given yeah. that I am not a big fan of grammar, yeah, and that's all I'm there is, sure in fact, vocabulary and grammar. Although I had, a, I had a teacher in high school who taught us Latin, and he was part of a really interesting association of people who made Latin a spoken language, right? So they would create new vocabulary to be able to talk about stuff that obviously there was no vocabulary for, and they spoke Latin. I never did, but he did, and he was amazing. I mean, we loved him because of that. And Esperanto is another interesting avenue, right? Because it's like a combination of everything. Have you ever had any chance to be exposed to Esperanto at all? Um, personally, no, but my aunt has studied it. So oh. I know of it and I know of the use, but I guess just at the point in time that I had the opportunity to learn many languages, I guess the, the, the hype uh, and the enthusiasm about Esperanto had died down. And to be fair, I don't know to what extent it would be useful anymore these days. So. I don't think so. Yeah, it's just more of an interesting idea, but it never worked out. Okay, so now I want you to say goodbye, thank you, whatever you want to say in each language that you know. Let's start with Polish. Well, that's obvious. Okay. Bardzo dziękuję za rozmowę. I do widzenia do wszystkich słuchaczy. Okay, let's do German now. Vielen Dank für das Gespräch. Und äh, ich hoffe auf Wiederhören äh, zu allen äh, Zuhörern. Ähm, äh, merci äh, à tous et j'espère qu'on peut parler encore une fois euh, ensemble des, 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 des langues. 
Um, what else is there? Uh, Japanese soldiers would be uh, um, sayonara. Um, and in Korean, thank you would be kamsamida. I really find it amazing and I feel envious because I can't speak that many languages. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Dziękuję bardzo. Merci beaucoup. Danke schön. But I don't know any Japanese or Korean, so I can't say that. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. It was a, was a blast. Thank you. Well, impressive, isn't it? In the next episode after Easter, we will talk about well-known polyglots, and you will hear my conversation with one of them. 50 languages is not bad, right? Well, tune in to episode 94 to get to know that story. For a lot of additional information, multimedia, and links, please visit my website at mypolcast.com. And while you're there, please share your comments, your reactions, and suggest ideas. If you know of any interesting story that I should cover on Polcast, please let me know. Also, please remember about the crowdfunding campaign. Like all other podcasts, we count and depend on our listeners. What is free for you to listen to is not free for me to make. So, if you can, please support Polcast. Go to mypolcast.com support and make a pledge. Any amount is great. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app. Since February last year, Polcast has sent this message. Slava Ukraini. We love and admire you, our Ukrainian sisters and brothers. And please remember, you can always count on us. It's Easter time. You can learn about Polish Easter traditions in episode 73 of Polcast. Just go to the website mypolcast.com and search for that episode. And I wish you a good, peaceful Easter, a bit of rest and joy. Don't forget about others who need our help or are alone during that holiday season. And I leave you with some Easter spring music. This is a piece called Springtime by Vlad Glushenko. Thank you, Nourished by Music. Enjoy! Enjoy!